But I find that sometimes people are not listening to the right kind of music to find the calmness in their souls and to worship. And the God says, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes even in a pause, the music starting can cause some anxiety. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, maybe we've noticed that even this morning. And sometimes we can learn through the things that are going on in our lives to better us and uh, finding out what that might bring to our soul that will bring greater comfort and peace, not to just us, but to other people. Because what we learn, what we discover, God wants us to share with other people. And it is such a joy to have the rights back with us. We got to take them out to dinner last night. That was an added blessing because both, not only the men came back from the retreat and they foolishly played football, some of them, that probably shouldn't have. And, you know, just the little kid comes out still in us. You know what I mean by that? And you do dumb stuff and you feel great for a moment. But then you discover that you have muscles that you didn't know were there because many of them are covered with fat, you know, but they're they're there, you know, and oh, but also the ladies went on the retreat and they had a wonderful time as well. Don't miss out on these wonderful times. And they did girly things, you know, that's why we have them separate. You know, God made men and women different. Amen. (laughs) My goodness. But they got back late. They got back at 530. And I'm thinking, what am I going to eat tonight? You know, (laughs) and uh, we had us a time last night and and we discovered something last night. Now, these folks have been our missionary for four years and he discovered something last night, too. We both discovered something that we didn't know. And that is his son. Larry is coming here Wednesday. He didn't know that. And I didn't know the guy that was coming here this Wednesday is his son. Wow. His son, James Wright, is coming to put in our lights for our auditorium. Amen to that. Wow. What a small world. We got to get to know each other. You got to get to know your son. What a blessing to have the rights with us. God bless you. You come, brother. Just in case there's any confusion about it, uh, James is also my wife's son. And you know, in any case, now we, uh, we so much rejoice in the privilege of uh, coming back and once again opening the Word of God here. It was, my, it was a little over four years ago that... Uh, <clears throat> We got a call, and uh, it was a pastor friend out here in Oregon. And he said, Brother, if you'll come out and present your ministry, our church will take you on for support. Well, <laughs> we're there. And uh, and then we I had a nephew down in California that said, Oh, yeah, come on out. We'll take you on for support. And so, oh, my, we'll make a southern swing. So we uh, started calling churches in the area and trying to line up meetings. And your pastor was gracious enough to invite us in. And uh, we made that western swing, and the only church to take us on was y'all. And uh, that's a southern word, by the way, y'all, uh, you all. In any case, uh, but uh, in any, the, the Lord caused us to make another western swing. And that time, 
we uh, found, had a whole bunch of churches take us on for support. So uh, we are currently on our way down the coast reporting to churches, and we will be so until Thanksgiving. And then we'll be back uh, near our sons. We have two of them uh, at, uh, at Thanksgiving. So we are uh, looking forward to that. But we're also looking forward to reporting the churches that support us. What a blessing it is to have godly people uh, all over the world uh, partnering with us, not only in prayers, but also in finances, and uh, we appreciate that so much. Uh, we uh, appreciate hearing what's going on in your church. Carolyn sends us a letter uh, about every other month, and uh, so we are praying for many of you, even though you might not know us and we might not know you. Uh, we are praying for you, and we rejoice in that privilege. Uh, on the back table, there is our uh, our display. There is a, a sign-up list if you would like to receive our prayer letter. We have pictures. Uh, now, but seriously, if you'd like to receive our prayer letter, go ahead and sign up for that. And uh, there's some other things back there. Please stop by. Come on out tonight. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to tell you a lot about our ministry this morning. Uh, because I'd like to save that for tonight. But if you'll come out tonight, Myra and I will be wearing our Cameroonian traditional ceremonial outfits. And uh, they're kind of picturesque. And so uh, come on out and uh, we'll explain about our ministry tonight. Just as a really quick understanding of it, we go anywhere in the world where there is a missionary that needs to come back to the States for uh, either it's furlough or surgery or, or whatever, we go and replace them. We live in their house, we drive their car, we feed their dog, and uh, most importantly, we love their people and we pastor their church and we do everything we can to make sure that when they return to the field, that church has not not only not diminished or gone away, which happens often, but that that church is a little stronger, uh, a little better able to appreciate their pastor, and certainly a little better to uh, appreciating their God, so that when that pastor comes back, it is ready to move forward under the new uh, under the uh, missionary's leadership. That's our goal, and uh, by God's grace, we've done seven replacements so far, and that has happened in every single one of them. Souls have been saved, people have been baptized. And uh, it's just a joy to be a part of this type of ministry. And uh, so thank you for your prayers. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, this morning to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. When my sons were born, they were cute. And then they grew up and got ugly. Oh, my wife says, they're not ugly. Yes, they are. No. <laughs> you can see for yourself on Wednesday. But uh, <clears throat> in any case, no, they, but I wanted them to grow. Believe it or not, I did not want them to stay that you know, cute, cuddly little child that the Lord gave us initially. I wanted them to grow up. I wanted them to become strong and strapping young men that were able to stand on their own two feet before God and before this world and proclaim His glory. That's my goal for them. And by God's grace, He's been so wonderful to us. My sons have grown up. In the same way, God looks at us and He doesn't want us to stay that sweet, ignorant little Christian child that we are when we are saved and born into the, to the family of God. He wants us to grow up. 
He wants us to become strong and able to stand before Him and to worship Him and praise Him and represent Him to this world. That's what He wants. That thing of growth requires change. You and I hate change, don't we? Oh, we we like our comfort zone and we want to stay in that comfort zone. But God wants us to step out of that comfort zone and trust Him and by stepping out in faith, learn and grow and change. And I'm going to challenge you this morning in one area of your understanding and I'm hoping that you will, through this, change your perspective on one area. Now, I want you to take a look in this passage, and we're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to read on down. And I want you to see how the Apostle Paul had changed his perspective, what he thought was valuable and what he thought was not valuable, what was important and what was not important. He had changed. And so we're starting reading in verse 7, and we're going to read down through verse 10. Notice it says, But what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I counted all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I do count them but dung that they may, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. This morning I would like to talk to you a little bit about that one phrase in verse 10 where he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. What does that mean? Now, in this world, people don't like suffering. Is there anybody here that likes suffering? We have a name for that type of people. Well, we have many names, among them idiot. Um, We don't like suffering, do we? And this world says, if you are suffering, take a pill. If you are suffering, change your circumstances. If you are suffering, find someone to blame. But don't remain suffering. But there are times when God, in His love for us, allows us to go through suffering. And I want to quiz you just a a moment here. First of all, let me ask you, is God all-powerful? Okay, i got a couple of you who think God is all-powerful. What about the rest of you? Do you believe God is all-powerful? Good. I mean, at least nod your head. God is all-powerful. There's no question about that. Secondly, is God all-knowing? Yes. God knows in advance the trials that you are going to go through. And so if God is all-powerful, and if He is all-knowing, and He allows us to go through trials, then He must not love us, right? Wrong. God does love us. He loves us so much that He sent His Son to the cross to die, to shed His blood so that we might have forgiveness of sin. And I love the fact that God didn't just say, okay, y'all's sins are forgiven. Instead, He paid the price for those sins. Think about it. And it was not an easy price for Him. It was a terrible price. It was the death of His own Son. I don't know about your love for your sons, if you have them, 
But I love my sons. And I hate to see them suffer. And it would just about kill me to see them die. But God had to stand by and watch His Son suffer. And watch His Son die. And He did that because He loves you. So if God is all-powerful, if God is all-knowing, and if God loves you to that extreme, then the only conclusion we can come to about our suffering is that it is beneficial to me in God's eyes. You say, well, it's not beneficial in my eyes. And that's only because we don't see things clearly, isn't it? In eternity, we will look back and we will see things through God's eyes and we will realize that His will is not only good and acceptable, it is perfect. And so I would challenge you this morning, open your mind up to the possibility that our understanding of suffering might not be complete and that maybe we ought to understand what this phrase is talking about. He said here, verse 10, that I may know Him. It is not enough to know about Him. I I know a lot about the greatest quarterback who has ever lived, Aaron Rodgers, with the Green Bay Packers. Did, Did I get some applause over here? Do we have Green Bay Packer fans? All right! Brother! Now listen... That's that's ridiculous. Sports are not important. I can tell you a lot about Aaron Rodgers, but I don't know him. I've never shook his hand. You know, never even been in his presence. Nor has he been in mine. But, but, But the point is, it is not enough to know about someone. The Pharisees were the spiritual intelligentsia of his day, of their day, And they had Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They had God standing right before them. And they didn't even recognize Him. Think about the tragedy of that. It is not enough to know about God. We have to know Him. That I may know Him, the Apostle Paul cried out. This was the heart cry of the Apostle. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. On that day when God raised His Son from the dead, let me ask you, do you suppose that uh, Satan was just kind of standing by and watching to see if, oh, see how this goes? I don't think so. I think Satan and all of the forces of darkness were doing everything within their power to keep Christ in the grave. And yet my God's power is far greater. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering. Understand that if we are going to understand God and enter into this fellowship, there is going to be some suffering. Now, if you're here today and you say, well, I'm not a Christian, I'm not saved, and I don't want to now that you tell me there's suffering involved. Oh, no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, You know how there's a simple test to see if you are going to go through suffering. And that is check for a pulse. Because if you are alive, you are going to go through suffering. It doesn't matter if you're saved or not saved. Job says man is born for sorrows as as the sparks fly upwards. You are going to go through suffering. The only question is, is that suffering going to have any meaning? Is that suffering going to have any purpose? Is that suffering going to have any end? 
is that suffering going to have a companion taking you through that? You see, for a child of God, we have that. But if you are not saved, you do not. You have no promises. You have no guarantees. If you're not saved, let me ask you, why? I've never understood that. God loves you so much that He sent His Son to the cross to die for you, paid the price, and now He waits upon you. He has made the plan of salvation so clear in His Word. And all that remains for you is to come to Him and cry out and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save my soul. And you know what? He will save your soul. So how do you know that for sure? Because the Bible says, all that come unto me I will in no wise cast out. If any man, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. You don't have to wonder about that. All you have to do is put your faith in Him, trust in Him. Ask Him to save you. So if you're not saved, I have a simple question. What are you thinking? You're not going to get out of this life alive. You're going to die. The Bible says after this, the judgment. You will stand before God. And you will answer. And my friend, the question is not going to be how good a person worthy you. The question is going to be very simple. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Did you put your faith in him? Did you call out to him for salvation? Or did you spit upon him by walking out of that service where the salvation plan was so clearly presented and you said, no, I will not receive him. People say, well, The unsaved, do they really deserve to go to hell? By rejecting the free gift offered to them by God? Yes. Yes, they do. My friends, if you're not saved, you need to be saved. And it needs to be today because you are not assured of tomorrow. Am I trying to scare you into being saved? Oh, that I could. I wish I could. But for those of you who are saved, my message today is primarily for you. You're going to go through trials. Now, many of you are going through trials. And my heart goes out to you. But for those of you who aren't going through trials, duck, because you will. It's coming. And how you deal with it when they come is going to mark a lot in your life as to what you are and what you believe and what you hold to be true. Now here he tells us, well, the Apostle Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. The best way to illustrate this, I believe, is to take us back to Genesis chapter 22. So keep your finger here in Philippians and turn with me back to Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to take a look at an event in the life of Abraham. Now James tells us that Abraham was the friend of God. Now I want you to think about that. 
Abraham was the friend of God. Very plain, very obvious. Abraham is the friend of God. It's interesting that when Abraham was sitting one day in the door of his tent and he was looking, he saw three men walking towards him. He immediately recognized one of them as Jesus Christ. We believe that that event was what we refer to as a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. And as the three of them approached, Abraham ran and he greeted them and then he went and he prepared food and later on there was a sacrifice. The other two had left. Where had they gone? They'd gone to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus stayed behind. And he said, how can I hide what I'm going to do from my friend Abraham? And he explained to Abraham that because of the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, he was going to destroy them. And Abraham said, well, my nephew Lot is there. And my nephew Lot has a family. And, and so if, and he would, and he, he started negotiating. Think about this. Abraham negotiated with God. And he said, oh, you wouldn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there were 50 righteous. And God said, no, if there's 50 righteous, I won't destroy them. And then Abraham said, now, be patient with me, but what if there's 40? And what if there's... And he talked him down to 10. And I think Abraham thought, well, I know Lot and his family are saved, and surely they've shared the gospel with others, and therefore I'm sure there's at least 10. And I think that Abraham went to bed that night thinking that he had negotiated a reprieve for Sodom and Gomorrah. But what I want you to see is that Abraham was the friend of God. Now in Genesis chapter 22, take a look at it with me. It says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Many of you know this story. Was God saying, Hmm, I wonder what Abraham will do. No, God knows all things. So, who was discovering something here? It was Abraham. Let me ask you this, how much do you love God? Seriously, right now, quantify it. I, you know, I just had my knee replaced. We, we were talking about having knee replacements here before the service and, and uh, comparing... Uh, you know, battle notes and that type of thing. And, and uh, one of the things that killed me, uh, you know, when in the, in the hospital they would say, how is your pain, 1 through 10? You know, and I, I wanted to grab them and pull them close and say, give me drugs! You know, no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But how do you quantify pain? And I, and I would tell them, okay, if 10 is being burned alive in gasoline then and 1 is no pain at all, then I'm probably a 4. Okay? And they would say, oh, only 4, you don't need drugs. No, 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 I need drugs. But no, seriously, the point is, how do you quantify? How do you know? How, where do you... Do you love God? Okay, how much? Okay, what is lots? Don't answer that. okay the question is we don't really know in the big scheme of things the neat thing is that God in his love taught Abraham how much Abraham loved him allowed him to show him 
But that may be one reason. There's two others I'm going to talk about this morning. One I'll just touch on. But I want you to see what he said to him. Notice in verse 2, he says, Take now thy son. Now, the word son, back then that held real significance. Nowadays, you know, if you have a, a son or a daughter, it doesn't really matter uh, because, you know, in our society, they're both the same. Back then, a son was very significant. He said, Take now thy son, thine only son. Did Abraham have any other offspring that were male? Yes, he did. His name was Ishmael. Okay, and Ishmael was his son, but he was not the son of the promise. And God had made it very clear that he did not recognize Abraham, excuse me, Isaac as being the one through which the promise would come, but he did recognize Isaac as the one that the promise would come. Now, let me ask you, what was that promise? Oh, there were many aspects of that promise, but among those aspects was this, that through Isaac would come many, many offspring. Matter of fact, it would be so many that they would be as the sands of the seashore and the stars of the sky. Innumerable. You can't count them. Now, let me ask you, Isaac was a little boy. How many children had he had? Zero. Okay, it's not a trick question, people. Okay, and so the promise could not have been fulfilled yet. And therefore, he was testing Abraham's faith because he was going against something that he himself had said. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. What does the name Isaac mean? Anyone remember? Anyone? Thank you. Those of you who speak softly when you should yell it out. Okay. Yes. Laughter. Laughter. Why? Well, because when God told Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a child, they were both very, very old. And this is one of the things I like about Sarah, was her first response was to laugh. Oh, I laughed at a friend who sprayed milk on himself accidentally one time, and he looked at me and said, well, you wouldn't laugh if it happened to you. Very next week, I went and cut off the tip of my finger, practically, and uh, my first response was to laugh. I don't know why. It was just a nervous thing, okay? We laugh at the strangest things at the strangest times. At least those of us with a sense of humor do. Um, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't blame Sarah for laughing. Um, it may have been a thing of joy. It may have been a thing of disbelief. I think there was some dif- disbelief there because she was an old lady. But I do know that Isaac, they named him Laughter. Isaac brought them great joy in their old age. And so God, as he's saying this to Abraham, says, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, and then it's like he twists a knife as he says, whom thou lovest. And then with that, and I certainly wouldn't get up early in the morning to obey it, but notice what Abraham did. And Abraham, verse 3, rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw a place afar off. 
And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go up yonder and worship and come again unto you. The idea behind that in the Hebrew is we will go up and we will come back. You say, oh, so he really wasn't planning on sacrificing his son. Oh, no, he was. He was planning on sacrificing his son, and yet he was still believing what God had promised. That through that son, that very son, the promise of many offspring would be fulfilled. And so Abraham didn't know how, but he was going to obey. He didn't know why. But he was going to obey. Have you ever been in a place where you knew the right thing to do, but you couldn't see how it was going to turn out? You, you couldn't see. There is no logic in this. And, you, and you, I know the right thing to do, but it's not going to work. Well, listen, if you know the right thing to do, do it. And God will work out the details. You say, there's no way it can work out. Well, you know, that's not your job to decide. Do right. Do right if the stars fall. Do what you know God wants you to do. Whether you can see how it's going to turn out or not, you just do right. And here he did. Matter of fact, he was so intent upon taking the son, the life of his son, that he stood up there, he built the, t- the altar, he prepared the wood, he tied his son up, he put him on the altar, he raised that knife, and he was so intent upon plunging it into the heart of his son that God had to call his name twice to stop him. Abraham! Abraham! Take not the life of thy son. You say, why would God do that? I'll tell you one of the reasons. There's probably many reasons. But I believe one of the reasons was because God wanted to teach Abraham about his redemption. Coming through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And many years later, at that very same place, wicked hands were going to be laid upon Jesus Christ. And they were going to nail him to a cruel cross. And there was no one there to stop their hands. So they killed him. And God, the Father, could then say to Abraham, Abraham, I, I put you through this so that you would understand my pain. So that you would understand the cost of your salvation. So that you would be able to tell your children and they would tell their children all the way down to a man by the name of Moses who is going to write the first five books of the Old Testament so that all of the Jews between here and there could understand the price of their salvation so that they could look forward. In the same way that you and I look back upon that time, they looked forward to the Messiah who would come and give His life for their sins just a different direction. And I believe one of the reasons God did that was because He was offering for Abraham to enter into a fellowship of suffering. We understand this to some degree. Uh, Sister, what's what's your first name? Rosalie? We were talking this morning. She and I have both had knee replacement surgery. And we... We are brethren. Because <laughs> we, we, we understand each other a little bit about that. Okay? 
there are other ways of entering into a fellowship of suffering. Myra and I, I was pastoring a church in, in Michigan, and uh, we there were some problems. Some, some people told some lies and got the church all upset, and we realized, boy, if we don't get out of here, this church is going to split, so we resigned. That night, the night we resigned, we got a call, and uh, a man said, hey, we'd like to buy you breakfast tomorrow. And so we met at a Cracker Barrel with Dan and Shelley White the next day at 9 in the morning, and we were there until 1 in the afternoon. Why? Because he had been the pastor of that church before me, and those very same people had done the very same thing to him, and suddenly they became our best friends. (laughs) Why? Because we had a fellowship of suffering. Let me ask you, do you understand why Jesus Christ came to earth? I mean, why have you ever thought about this? And this is one of the things the pastor pointed out this morning after I preached this very same message uh, at the early service, is have you ever wondered why God didn't just send Jesus Christ to earth and then instantly have him put to death? And why did he spend a whole life growing up and going through all of that? Because it wasn't an easy life for him. I mean, think about the trials. We know that he got run out of Israel and off down to Egypt. And then he couldn't come back to there, and, and so he went up to Nazareth. And and, uh, and and then we, well, when Jesus is an adult, we find that his father is no longer on the scene, Joseph. He had to have died, and he Jesus had to have taken on the responsibility of the family as the eldest son. And when we see his ministry and all the things that he suffered through at the hands of wicked men, why did he go through all of that? Now we know why he had to shed his blood, but why did he go all of, go through all of that suffering beforehand? The answer is very simple. So he would know what you are going through. So he could tell you that he's been tested, tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He has been willing to enter into the fellowship of our suffering. And here he says, I want you to enter into the fellowship of my suffering. Now, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe it's a physical thing. You say, well, my physical thing is not suffering for the faith. You know, suffering for the faith is an important thing, but I don't think that it has to be just for the faith. I think that when we are suffering and God has allowed it, there is a purpose there. And my friends, we need to lift our eyes to Him and say, Lord, I choose, I choose to trust You, to put my faith in You. I am going to not only look to You, but I am going to lift my hand for You to take it and to carry me through these trials. And Lord, keep me in these trials as long as I need to be here, but not one moment longer. And God in His love will do just that. And He will show you the purpose. Now, by the way, He may not show you the purpose in this lifetime. Do you realize how short our life is in comparison to eternity? And we hold such importance on this life. Oh, we need to get over ourselves. (laughs) There is so much more on the other side. And when our suffering isn't explained, and we raise our fists to God and say, well, I don't understand why... You know, is it really important that we understand on this side? 
Why not just trust Him? And so I am challenging you to put your faith in Him. And if you are going through suffering right now, realize that it is the love of God, that which He extends to friends, that you should enter into that fellowship with Him to understand a little bit more about Him and to understand His suffering, not just on the cross, but throughout His life here on earth. Are you willing to trust Him? Now, there are many other reasons why He asks you to go through suffering. And this is just one. But are you willing to trust Him? Now, maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? <laughs> My sky is blue the roses sell, smell sweet. There are no problems in my life. Got one word for you. Duck. Because you know what? That's going to end sometime. You say, well, you know, maybe my life is touched with gold and throughout. Yeah, but do you know how your life is going to end? <laughs> Have you thought that one through? It's called death. Uh, listen, there's going to be some suffering in your life. And probably, even if you have a life that is so happy, you're going to have some dark spots. You're going to have some points where you're going to have to acknowledge that there is a God who loves you and has allowed you to go through that trial for a purpose. And you're going to need to put your trust in Him. And so even if your sky is blue right now, I am challenging you right now, as we close this service in a few moments, to lift your heart to God and say, Lord, when those trials come, please remind me. If you will remind me, I will put my faith in you. I will look to you for my strength. And I will find the reason and the purpose for it in my faith in you. I'm challenging you to do that this morning. For those of you who are going through trials, look to Him, the author and finisher of your faith. And He will bear you up. And He will not keep you in that fire one moment longer than you need to be. But while you're in that fire, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, He will be right there beside you. Put your faith in Him. And for any here this morning, that are not saved. Oh, please. This morning, my friend, do not leave here today without knowing for sure that you're on your way to heaven. You say, oh, I don't think we can know for sure. Well, at that point, you'd be wrong because the Bible tells us very clearly in First John chapter 5 that we can know that we have eternal life. Oh, let us show you from God's Word how you can be sure of heaven. But for the rest of us who are saved, let us put our faith in God and realize that even in the trials there is a purpose. And let's trust Him for that purpose. Our Father, I pray that You would close this service as Your Spirit moves among us. I pray that we would be willing to put our faith in You and to trust You through these trials. I pray, Lord, that You would give us wisdom and that You would help us to cry out to You today. Oh, Lord, please carry me through this trial and bring it to an end as soon as You will. 
But then, Lord, for those, for any here that might not be saved, I pray that today would be a day of salvation for them. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would work mightily, powerfully in our hearts here today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you all stand to your feet just a moment, we're going to have a moment of silence. If we all just stand to your feet as the pastor comes in just a moment, I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just take this time to commune with your God. And I want you to, if you're going through those trials right now, cry out to Him and say, Lord, I am willing to trust that you have a purpose. And I'm willing to trust you to carry me through this. Oh, Lord, please do so. For those of you who are not going through trials, right now I'd like you, if you would, to lift your heart to God and say, Lord, thank you that right now I don't have to go through any of these trials. But when I do, when it is your understanding that I am ready and it is necessary, Lord, help me to look to you for strength and wisdom. Would you do that right now? Talk to God. And if there is someone here this morning that has never received Christ as Savior, I would like you to determine that before you leave this building, you will come to talk to me or to one of the pastors or maybe to the person that brought you. But you'll come and talk to us and say, what must I do to be saved? And we will show you from God's Word how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Oh, wouldn't you be willing to do that? Get that taken care of today. Our Father, I pray that as we close this service, that you would dismiss us with your power. Dismiss us with your blessing. And may you go before us this week. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if we can be of any blessing to you, the invitation is not closed. If you'd like to talk with us, we're here for you. Our Father, dismiss us with your blessing. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming. You are dismissed.